The reading will be from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Thanks, Johnny. Keep uh, that bit of the Bible open, and we're going to pray for God's help as we look at his word together. Father God, we cannot live the Christian life without your Holy Spirit. We cannot understand your character or your words without your Holy Spirit. We cannot repent of sins that you reveal to us now without your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that he would be with us now at work in power and that we might be transformed for your glory's sake amongst us. Amen. What does the Christian life look like? How would you describe the Christian life? If uh, somebody, there are always people who are looking into Christian things uh, amongst us. You're very, very welcome if that's you. There'll always be people who are working things out. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian? Somebody asks you after, after church, says, look, you're obviously one of the Christians, I can tell from the way you dress. Um, and uh, you'll be insulted, you should. Uh, they, and and they, what, what would I have to do to become a Christian? What, what will life be like? And it'd be very easy just to go straight to the negative. Well, you'd have to stop getting drunk. You have to stop sleeping around. You have to stop uh, being greedy, living selfishly for yourself. It would be very easy just to list all the sins they'd have to get rid of. But that would be a colossal mistake. Because God is a God of life and light and joy. And the Christian life is not just about a whole heap of things that we stop doing. It's not just a negative thing. 
So I was at a wedding yesterday, and uh, the reception was at the Royal Hospital in Chelsea, which is rather lovely. And they're setting up for the Chelsea Flower Show, which I imagine is a, is a big deal in the lives of many of us here. And the, um, but one of the big competitions, I know this because a friend uh, is uh, involved in this every year, is the, is the show garden where they, uh, they basically make these mocked-up gardens. Now, if you want to impress the judges, you've got to do more than just get rid of every weed. Meticulously rip out every ugly, dirty, nasty weed. Get rid of them all. No one's going to be impressed by barren earth and sand. Actually, these days it's probably trendy, isn't it? But, but you want more than that. You want to see beautiful rich, lush lawn and lovely flowering plants and, and fruit trees and all sorts. You want, you want more than just everything bad got rid of. You want to see also rich, fruitful things planted. And that's the same with the Christian life. God's not pleased by a sort of stoic, unfeeling, lifeless, joyless, I'm not doing anything wrong. God is the God of life. And his vision for you, God's will for you, is that you live rich, full, fruitful lives to his glory. And that's what we see in Ephesians 5. He, we see that his, his calling on us, his desire for us, is that you would live a life that shines with his light. You would live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. That you would live a life that is attractive to other people and that enriches other people. And we'll see how that happens as we go through Ephesians 5. Okay, we're coming back into Ephesians after a few months away from it. So let's just remind ourselves of the story so far. Paul has spent the first three chapters in his letter to the church in Ephesus in the first century, so in Turkey. He spent the first three chapters explaining the gospel, the central message of Christianity. He's explained that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, though we deserve wrath, God has made us his children. Though we fight... God has enabled us to know peace with one another. Though we were dead in sin, God has made us alive in Jesus Christ. And so, chapter four, verse one, we're urged to live a life worthy of our calling as God's children. And the rest of chapters four to six work out, okay, what does that look like? What does it mean in day-to-day realities of life to live worthily of this calling to be God's children? Now, the first three chapters are very, very important that they come before chapters four to six because they provide uh, the power. It's only when we've experienced the goodness of God, his saving grace, it's only when we've experienced that he has taken us from being deserving hell to being adopted as his children that we'll want to live for him. Chapters four to six are basically useless without chapters one to three. If you go straight to chapter four to six, that's like uh, having a car with, uh, and, a, and a map that tells you where to go, but there's no engine in the car. It's useless. <coughs> Chapters one to three, which explain what God has done for you, that's the engine. Now, chapters four to six, here's the road map. Now that I want to please God, now that there's an engine driving me to say, I want, I want to live for God now after all he's done for me, what, what should I do? Chapters four to six then tell us where to go, how to live a life of rich purpose and freedom in God. And in this section, Paul calls those who trust in Jesus to live by his light and to live by the power of the Spirit. To live in his light by the power of his Spirit. Okay, firstly, uh, verses 8 to 14, live in his light. Verse 8, chapter 5. 
sorry, verse eight of, yes it is, sorry, I've got the wrong, wrong letter, that would have been awkward. Um, Ephesians five, verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. There's a whole heap of before and after in Ephesians to explain what happens when you put your trust in Jesus. You were dead, now you're alive. You were under God's wrath, now you are loved. You were alienated, cut off from God, now you are adopted as his children. And now you were darkness and now you are light. Do you see, though, how dramatic the transformation is? It doesn't say you were once in darkness or darkness was in you and now you're in light or or now God's light is in you. No, you were darkness. You are light. To become a Christian is is not just to believe some stuff about Jesus I didn't used to believe or or to live a different way. It is to go from being darkness to being light. It's a dramatic, radical transformation. One of my school friends has just become uh, an American citizen. He sent me pictures of the, um, of the citizenship ceremony. And in one sense, he's changed. His identity's changed. He is now an American. He now gets to, to vote for whoever he wants to vote for in the US elections. He can now be drafted if there's a war. But he hasn't changed completely. He's still got his wonky English teeth, even though he's an American citizen. And uh, you know, he, if we play America at sports, he's still gonna want England to win. He still thinks chips are something that's hot and should have vinegar and salt on rather than uh, a bag of crisps. He's he's kind of changed, but not at a deep fundamental level. Now, when you become a Christian, it's more like this. It's like the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Uh, For those of you who want to know, that's a red admiral, very common in Britain, and that's also a red admiral caterpillar. Um, I like to get these things right, just for your benefit. But that's what happened. You went from that to that. It's not that you just changed your uh, box in the religion survey. You were transformed by God into something new. Darkness to light. If you trust in Christ, you were darkness, you are light. And now Paul shows that that change of identity ought to lead to a change of behavior. Uh, Back to verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. When light shines on an apple tree, it enables it to bear fruit. And when you put your trust in Jesus and the light of God floods into your life, you bear fruit, you change. And he summarizes in verse nine that the the fruit is um, uh, all goodness, righteousness and truth. In other words, you start living a bit more like Jesus, all goodness, righteousness and truth. Verse 10, importantly, it reminds us we don't naturally know how to please God. We have to learn how to do that. When you, when you come to, to follow God, you, you can't just assume, well, I guess God will just like the same stuff I like. I guess God will just approve of the same stuff I approve of. No, he's God. His standards are different. So when you turn to follow Jesus, if you want to please God, you have to listen to his word to work out what he wants, what he loves, what he desires. And those aren't things we know naturally. It was a wedding of John Raftery and Rachel yesterday. And John um, has been sharing a house with a bunch of different guys for quite a while. When Rachel moves in, when they get back from honeymoon, John would be wise not to assume that Rachel's tastes and standards of cleanliness 
are exactly the same as those he's got used to sharing a house with a bunch of single guys. He may find that she has different standards and different decorative desires, and the first few months of their married life will go a whole lot better if he's ready for that and doesn't automatically assume that she'll be just like the rest of the boys. And the same goes for you and me when we turn to follow Christ. You, you'd be mad to assume, well, I imagine nothing will change. God must view life the same way I do. God must think uh, about my career the way I do. God must think about how I should use my sexuality the way I do. No, we have to learn his ways if we're gonna live in his light. We're to live in the light, and that means turning away from darkness, verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now, Paul has gone into much more detail about those things as we looked at the last time we were in Ephesians, in chapter five, verses three to six, which I had Johnny read for us, because it's been a while since we have been in Ephesians, just to see the flow of chapter five. So he's gone into some detail about what those fruitless deeds are. Um, there's all sorts of things listed there, sexual immorality, greed, um, untruthful, harmful words. But do you notice here that in verse 11, they are fruitless deeds. Now the Bible gives a whole heap of different motivations for you to live a godly life. All sorts of different things are, are said in the Bible to motivate you to live a godly life. Here's another one. Don't you want something to show for your life? All the effort, all the years, don't you want it to matter for something at the end? I watched the, the film about Schmidt uh, a while ago. It's a little bit high on thought-provoking dialogue and low on explosions and special effects for my particular cinematic tastes. But there we go. It's got Jack Nicholson. He's usually worth watching. But it's quite a depressing film, to be honest. Um, this is not a great recommendation. But um, he's, uh, Schmidt has worked for 40 years for the same company, and it's basically about the breakdown he has after he finally retires. And one of the, the biggest triggers for him, he has this real existential crisis. He goes back to, to work to, um, to see people about a month or two after he's finished, and he finds that all the files that he's meticulously compiled and worked on and prepared over the 40 years and he's gone back to help the, the next guy to, to sort of work out what everything is about and, and how best to, to use them. And he finds they're all down in the dump to be taken to the recycling. Everything that he's done, all that he's worked for, everything he's poured 40 years of his life into, and it matters for nothing. Month later, all gone. Now, when you stand before God at the end of your life, don't you want something to show for it? Don't you want something that endures eternally, something that looks valuable and worthwhile as you stand before Almighty God? Something to have borne fruit. Well, if you want your life to be fruitful, then turn away from sinful deeds because they are fruitless and empty and will be worth nothing but to be burned up on judgment day. Learn, live in God's light and you will bear eternal fruit. Your life will have mattered. The other theme, um, other than fruitfulness here, is that light exposes what is in darkness. I remember going to see a, a 
a nightclub at daytime. We were looking for a venue for a church plant I was leading, and we were trying to work out where to meet. And this was where everybody went on a Friday night. So we thought, oh, maybe we should look at that. And on a, a nighttime, it was edgy, it was hip, it was popular, it was a really cool place to be. In the daylight, it was just foul. It, I mean, I don't even want to know what most of the stains were. It was just disgusting. The light reveals how grotty what's done in darkness truly is. Light exposes dark. And if you live for Christ, he says you're, you're going to expose darkness because you live differently. And sometimes that can be a good thing. Look at verse 13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You see, sometimes people will see that you, if you follow Christ, you respond differently to unfair treatment at work. That you respond differently to a relationship breakup. That you treat people who are just weird and annoying differently. And people see that and they see something of the beauty of the gospel, something of the light of Jesus Christ in for all our faults the way that you live. The light exposes the ugliness of darkness but the light can also transform it into light. The moon has no light source of its own at all but when the sun shines on the moon, the moon can illuminate the earth at night. And in Christ, although we have no light in ourselves naturally, when Christ shines on you, you become light in the world. Now, verse 14 is probably an early Christian hymn that Paul is quoting based on Isaiah 60. And he's saying, look, some people will see Christ shining through your life. And some people, the light of Christ will shine through you to them and it will have the same impact as sunlight streaming onto your face in the morning. They'll wake up from spiritual darkness and death and they too will come to life. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That other people can see Christ through you and experience his light through you. So don't hide who you are. In his next letter to the church at Philippi, Paul encourages us, we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life, the gospel. So don't live in the shadows. Don't try to protect the dark corners of your life. Live in the light and share the light of Christ with others as you, as you proclaim him. Live in the light and then secondly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you trust in Christ, you are light, which leads to verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Okay, two reasons here for being careful how you live. First, in evil days, you'll do evil things unless you're consciously seeking to live differently. That's just reality. If you're not consciously trying to live differently, you'll just live like everybody around you. And Paul says, look, if the days are evil, if the culture is far from God, then you'll end up living as if you were far from God. So although we naturally want to fit in and be accepted and liked, we need to expect to stand out if we're going to be followers of God. Secondly, people need to hear the saving message of Jesus and we are the light in the world. 
You know what Jesus' marketing strategy for the gospel is? You and me. That's Jesus' marketing strategy for the world to come to know salvation. It's you and me. He doesn't have a plan B. That is it. And that's a wonderful privilege. And so we should make the most of every opportunity, it says. Make the most of every opportunity. It's actually an economic term. It's talking about a bargain hunter, a savvy investor who never misses an opportunity to snap up a bargain. It's saying, look, be a spiritual Warren Buffett. Never miss a good opportunity to invest. A good opportunity to to get spiritual fruit. We should be the same. Looking for opportunities to share the truth of Jesus. to, To hold out the light of the gospel to those who are facing eternal darkness and death. Now it's important to clarify what God's will is in verse 17. Because otherwise we get confused. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. How does that fit in here? Well, throughout Ephesians, God's will is not uh, what job should I take or his personal guidance for me. God's will is about his plan of salvation for the world. So if you flick back to chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. Chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What is that will? To be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's will is cosmic reconciliation in Christ Jesus. It's about his plan of salvation for the universe and for humans. And to be wise throughout Ephesians has been understanding this plan of salvation. So 1, 8 to 9 uses uh, that word of wisdom making known is being wise about. 117 to 19 is again using the wisdom word of being wise to understand. 310 to 11, being wise is knowing God's plan of salvation. When we understand the breadth of God's salvation, that it is for every race, every language, every nation, every religious background. And when we understand the depths of God's salvation, that it can bring life to the most wrath-deserving, spiritually dead people. That's what he's been teaching in Ephesians, the breadth of God's salvation, that it's for everybody, and the depth, that it brings the dead to life. He says, look, when you get that, if you're wise, you've understood what God's will is, then oh, you'll, you'll take every opportunity you can spot to share the gospel. You know, we're, why are we having a, the events at the end of May? Why have we produced these podcasts? It's to give us opportunities so that we can share the gospel more easily. Take every opportunity. Share the podcasts. Invite people. Buy tickets. Invite people to, to the guest events on May the 22nd and 23rd. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't let a chance to invest eternally pass you by. Okay, great. So, Live in the light, be light, and make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel. But how do you live like that? How can we live as light and wisdom and bear fruit and share the gospel? Where do we get the power to do so? Because it's difficult. Well, God is light and God is wisdom. And our lives can only be filled with light and wisdom if we are filled with God the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, verse 18 presents two stark alternatives, as he often does in Ephesians. Drunk with wine, filled with the Spirit. Now, in the, in the US, um, to be done for drink driving, they call it DUI, driving under the influence. And Paul is here writing about LUI, living under the influence. He says, what's your LUI? What are you living under the influence of? What determines how you live day to day? I think he chooses booze, wine, because it's just so blatantly obvious. I mean, go out in the city on a Friday night, and it is very easy to spot the difference of those who are full of wine and those who are not. Their behavior kind of marks them out. It changes how you live. It leads to debauchery, as he says here. That's pretty obvious. Now, just to be clear before we move on, Christians are not to live like that. We need to be very careful with alcohol, actually. It damages our witness, it damages our judgment, and it's damaging in our society. And if you look at Christian attitudes, I guess, across the world and across history, you'd have to say that our particular culture here as evangelicals in London, we are at the most relaxed end of how Christians have related to alcohol. The Bible doesn't say don't drink, and so we mustn't make rules. But it does say, don't drink so much that alcohol influences your behavior. And I suspect that at that point, some of us do need to make some radical changes to our behavior and our attitudes. I wonder if we're as guarded as we should be here. We're very clear, we're not legalistic. And we're, we're pleased sometimes with ourselves for that. But we need to be careful. And I wonder if we are sometimes. But Paul's point is actually broader than just alcohol. I think he picks alcohol here because it's just so obvious. You can see if someone's full of alcohol. But he's just saying, look, what determines your behavior? What determines your behavior? Is it that you drink so much that that means you behave in all sorts of ugly ways? Or is it that you're obsessed with your career and that drives everything? Or is it a selfish desire for comfort that, that rules your life? What determines your behavior, Paul asks us. Is it those things or is it the Holy Spirit? Because only the Holy Spirit can enable you to live in God's light and wisdom. Only he. And then wonderfully he explains how is it that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and what results from it. How we become filled with the Spirit and what happens when we are. Okay, how does it happen? Um, we're going to have to get grammatical for a minute, uh, but we'll only do it for a minute. So the verb filled in verse 18, uh, be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, and said be filled with the Spirit. It's a present passive imperative. Okay. It's present, not aorist. In other words, it's not something that just happens once. It's something that continues. It's go on being filled all the time every day. It's also passive, not active. It's something that has to happen to us. We can't fill ourselves. God has to do the filling. Present passive, and lastly, it's imperative. It's something that's commanded of us. Now, that is odd. How can you command me to do something that has to be done to me? That is very odd. Well, he's saying, seek from God that filling. Only God can do it, but we are commanded to seek it. Now, the moment you put your trust in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible is abundantly clear on that. Lots of places you could turn. Romans 8 verse 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't have Christ. So you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So you don't need something special to happen to you after you turn to follow Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit. 
But after you turn to follow Jesus Christ, we should all be seeking daily that there will be more of the influence, more of the power, more of the obvious presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, but how do we seek after the filling of the Holy Spirit? If we do want him to be the dominant influence on our attitudes and behavior, how do, how do we go about seeking for that? I think it's really helpful actually here to see the parallel passage in Colossians 3, um, which Andy's put on the screen for us. So I don't know how good your eyesight is, but um, it basically, you get the same thing. So Ephesians 5 is on the left, Colossians 3 on the right. I'll read across. So be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. So it seems to be talking about different things. But then when you carry on speaking to one another, as you teach and admonish one another, same thing. With psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. With all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, giving thanks to God the Father through him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, they're basically the same thing. Both passages say the same thing, except one says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and the other says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's point is that you get filled with the Holy Spirit as you respond in faith to the word of God. We're filled with the presence and the power of the spirit of God as we turn to the Bible, not just as a a historical document to be studied, but as we turn to it as God's word to be received with faith. When we do that, the, the things we read here of his person and his promises, they give us renewed life by the spirit. As you read your Bible in the morning, you should be praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me to believe what I read and empower me by your spirit as I read your word. Okay, what difference does it make? What happens if we're doing that, if we're seeking to be filled with the spirit every day? Uh, Come back to verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, one more bit of grammar. I said one, but you enjoyed it so much. I'm going to give you another. Um, Grammatically, you've got a main verb, be filled, and then you've got four participles, four sort of uh, lesser verbs which explain what the being filled means. So be filled and then four uh, lesser participles which tell you the results. Speaking, verse 19. Singing, verse 19. Giving thanks, verse 20. Verse 21, submitting. So verse 21 launches into the next section. So let's focus on the other three verbs. Of all the things Paul could pick up on that being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like, why on earth does he go for these three? Speaking, singing, giving thanks. Why go for speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs, singing and making music to the Lord and always giving thanks? Why go for those as the evidence of being full of the Spirit? I think it's to contrast the work of booze. Booze brings undoubted sort of high spirits and reverie. You've seen it. But the Holy Spirit doesn't lead to a sort of unfeeling state of stoic calm. Actually, he leads to deeper, richer joys than any alcoholic party can bring. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when he enables us to believe that these words are not just true, but they're, they're written to, for me, that these promises are for me, that this is God relating to me. 
Well, then we want to celebrate with one another the truths we've discovered in his word. We want to sing, not just on our own, but but in church. We want to look around, hearing others, smiling at others, enjoying their voices to encourage and build them up and be built up. And we also want to sing to God vertically. When it says singing from the heart, that doesn't mean they're they're sort of silent, well, I'm joyful in my heart, you know, tell your face, but uh, I'm joyful. It's, it's, It's not saying that. It means from the very depths of my being, I want to praise God because, oh, I found that it's true that he has made me who deserved wrath his child, and I now share in all the spiritual treasures of Christ for all eternity. And there's thanksgiving too. You know, our natural state is grumbling. Some of us are very, very good at it. Uh, we're aware more of the things we need, want, than the things that we have. But the work of the Spirit changes that. We're filled with gratitude to God. We recognize that we have every spiritual blessing now in Christ. And so many physical things too. And that means our, our lives start to be marked by gratitude, by thankfulness. And if I, if, I, when I, if I ever have to move on from CCM, the thing I'll miss most, um, in one sense, there's probably other things I should say, but actually the singing at prayer meetings. We sing well on a Sunday, but it is on a whole other level at the prayer meeting. After an hour of coming before God in prayer and recalling with thanksgiving his answers to prayer, and then sharing the Lord's Supper, enjoying the gospel together, it's as if hearts are just bursting with praise. And it is always the loudest singing you ever hear for the month. It's worth coming for that alone if you've not been. And I I just love it. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be light. Not in here, but out in the world. And it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. Without him, we can't be light. It is a rich, beautiful, fruitful vision of life. And God calls you tonight through Ephesians 5, live boldly and openly. Don't be afraid to show the difference Christ has made and is making in your life. Don't hide his work or his presence. Be light in the dark world. And to do that, you need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do any of the Christian life under your own steam. None of us can. So prayerfully pursue God's spirit every day. Beg God every morning for the presence and power of his spirit. Beg God every morning that you would be filled with the spirit before you try to do anything in your day so that your life might shine with God's light and that others might see Christ. What a life he's called us to. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that the life you call us to is not barren and dry and empty. It's not just thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It is rich. It is meaningful. It is eternally fruitful. Thank you that you have made us life when we were darkness. And our Father, we pray that more and more your light would shine out of our lives, that we would stop living in and hiding in the darkness. We would stop nurturing the dark corners of our lives and we would rejoice to be able to live in light and to be light. 
And our Father, we pray that we would be aware of our weakness and so we would cry out that you would fill us each day by your Holy Spirit, that we might be confident of your power and joyful in your presence. We ask this for your glory in our lives and that we might be a cause of salvation in your world. Amen.